First, I sent it to Lee Senong on his Facebook. Then he replied me. He was like, oh, great song. I'll, I'll let my father hear it. So then it went viral. It went viral because, you know, he heard it and stuff like that. And then when he passed on, it went viral again. But then this time around, when he passed on, right, and then I had to sing it um, in the church, everybody just knew me as the Lee Kuan Yew boy. I have nothing to boast about. I still don't think I have anything to boast about because I don't think that it was a great song. But people thought it was. And then like, they were saying things about my character, about how I'm great. And in my head, it's no, 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 no. I'm not good at all. I'm a terrible being. And so, I think this constant um, fight to, to feel like, oh my gosh, all these people got it wrong. After a while, I, I, I went into an ins- insane mode where I'm just like, the church loved me too much. They, they shouldn't love me, you know? I don't deserve any of this love. So after a while, it's, I just got into a state of panic. Like, I felt like I... I, I I fooled the world, you know? Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. So, we've done four episodes now. We've covered topics such as cancer, eating disorder, burnout, and even a car accident. But for today's episode, we are going to be talking about something that I think is pretty unique. Let me explain. So when I was younger, I used to be very shy and introverted. I was okay within my small group of friends, but stepping out of that comfort zone and meeting new people was always a big challenge for me, which made me rather awkward to be around. And being shy and awkward and introverted is kind of a rough situation, right? Especially when you're going through that teenage phase where you think that no one understands you and you're so lonely and misunderstood. And so at about 15 years old, I picked up the guitar, learned a bunch of chords and songs, got a bit better, started singing and playing along, and discovered that, hey, music is actually a pretty fantastic avenue for self-expression. I mean, at first, it was just me playing in the bedroom, but after a while, I plucked up the courage to play in front of my friends, then in school one time, then I joined a band and played some gigs, and eventually got into writing and recording my own songs. The track that you're listening to right now that is playing in the background, I wrote that. It is titled A Parade, A Death, A Proposition. And I wrote it after I was inspired by the book Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Safran Foye. Yeah, I was uh, kind of pretentious back then. In fact, my singer-songwriter alter ego was named Because You Are Breathing. And on the artist's bio page, this is what I wrote about that project. Quote, I am not a professional by any means, nor will I probably ever aspire to be a professional artist in the future, yet the importance of music to me and its influence is undeniable. This project is thus, in its simplest form, an avenue for me to express and release some of the thoughts and tangles that have been occupying me through music. In the grandest dreams, this project will serve to inspire many others to do the same. There is an expressive force devastating yet beautiful, intimate yet impersonal, that is waiting to be unleashed only if we allow it. Because you are breathing is simply my take on trying to understand this force. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> oh god, yeah, that's pretty cringy. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, to bring it back to screwed up moments, although I've dreamed about becoming a full-time musician and touring the world playing to sold-out shows and stuff, this was always a far-out pipe dream. Everyone knows how difficult it is to be a musician and I was certainly realistic of that as well. And this is the key thing, right? Because of this perception and the stigma against music as a career, very few people actually pursue it seriously and even less can say that they've been successful doing it. Which means, as I've mentioned earlier on, that what you're about to hear is going to be pretty unique. In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we are going to be listening to the story of local singer-songwriter Dominic Chin, someone who thought he had fooled the world. Hello, my name is Dominic and this is my screwed up moment. I am a singer-songwriter. Currently, I'm with the music and drama company. I knew singing came very, very natural to me. Like singing other people's songs helped me express what I felt inside. But on my own projects, I, I sing and write on my own songs also. Basically, the music and drama company is open to NSS who are in Pesci and below. We privatised last year or two years ago, I'm not really sure. So I was an NSF for two years until when I went already in October, then I was offered a contract to sign with them. So now I'm full-time. Yeah, but everybody still thinks I'm NSF and I'm treated like NSF sometimes also. But it's cool. I don't know about SAF band, but then for, for MDC is we come in the morning. Uh, our day-to-day schedule is project base so right now is the national day season so we are gearing up to national day but gearing up to national day we also have two musicals that we are running um so yeah so every day it's um we are managed by either rehearsals for what project we have now i think four ongoing projects that every day we are booked on. so okay the whole monday we'll be doing this project the whole tuesday we're doing that project yeah people think we just come home and sing song but like it's actually quite Tiring, it's very tiring to perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my opinion is very different from a lot of people's opinions because, like, a lot of people are like, why do you sign? Like, why do you want to go back? But to me, like, number one, I get CPF. Number two, I get to hone my skills every single day with with industry professionals. Uh, number three, it is very, very steady. I get a steady income and I get to do my own things. Like I'm I'm actually encouraged to go out there and to participate in outside things. So I still do my outside gigs and, and outside performances because they believe that every artist should stay relevant and and well-versed in what's going on out there. And I thought, oh, this is the best thing I can ever ask for, you know, which I can still do my own projects and still sing every day you know so I, I love it I love my job yeah that's <laughs> so cool because like mm. I literally you're the only person I've ever, ever met who is from MDC <laughs> yeah a lot and, of people say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so you know for a lot of musicians out there they, you see them especially independents they struggle yeah. how, how do you compare yourselves to, to them you know um, 
I don't really compare myself to them. I thought about doing that, of course, like just becoming a full-time musician, right? Or going to school. And then um, I very much considered it because I didn't know they are going to offer me a, a contract. I think every career has its um, struggles and every career has its limitations on what freedom they have or even what or even what bad sides they have, you know, and it's all about perspective. And being a musician, honestly, the biggest struggle is that it's not really the financial part because when we get a steady gig, uh, we will we will be fine. So if we have shows continuously come, we'll be fine. But then it's a constant struggle to convince your friends that you are legit and your family that you're legit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally understand. <laughs> struggle. What, what do you do full-time? I'm an auditor full-time. Auditor? <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. To be honest, Dominic really surprised me during this part of the interview. I mean, from musicians that you see on TV or in the news or on the gossip websites, I half expected this self-absorbed, somewhat narcissistic and larger-than-life character. And yet here he was, with a big old smile on his face, being all warm and relatable and down-to-earth, and even asking me questions during his interview, which I have to admit is a nice change of pace. I don't think I have much credit to take in terms of how I got here, because uh, I wasn't really good at anything growing up. Yeah, so like it was very evident because I was very slow in understanding um, the concept of first, second, and third in math. Like, I just couldn't get it in primary school. I remember my parents being very frustrated. I wasn't really particularly, like, very musically inclined also in other, like... Because I, I did violin since three till I was 14. Uh, I wasn't the best. Like, I couldn't understand certain things. So... You know, I but one thing I knew was that I knew singing came very, very easy, very, very natural to me, and and it became a avenue for me to, like, singing other people's songs helped me express what I felt inside. So whatever songs were out there, like I just covered it, and I just thought that oh, this is very easy, you know. So I pursued music also because like I'm not really good at anything else yeah like I I have I think I have an eye for design I got a diploma in interactive and digital media but like if when I when I went through the courses like oh I struggled like man so I don't know how I ended up here I really have no credit I just somehow managed to fall into this career and 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 I'm very grateful I'm very grateful that I am here yeah this next part however is where things get less relatable and it all began from one particular music video. So in 2012, uh, my senior pastor, uh, Pastor Joseph Prince, he, he just had a thought about how um, he wanted to properly honour the, the leaders of the country because they feel uh, he felt that um, there was n not really much honour like, given back then especially from the youth which I agreed because I think I saw one of the NDPs where he attended right mostly when you attended and then I saw somebody put a screenshot and be like I'll oh, give him five years and he'll be gone and so then I don't say I'm very political like I don't know what's up with all the politicians but I know one thing for sure is that Lee Kuan Yew is one of our founding, founding fathers right and nobody in the world has done what he has done to Singapore 
So I think when the project was um when this idea was just shot, so like it trickled down to the leaders of the church, right? And then one day, because they knew I write songs, then they're like, Don, would you would you be interested in writing a tribute song? So I didn't know where I was going. So I just I just wrote a draft and then I, I sent it in. Then it, it turns out everybody in the church office loved it. So we got together and then we we just put together a video. wouldn't be here, we would not have made the economic progress if we had not intervened on very personal matters. This is my home, a place filled with peace and security, a place that What you're listening to right now is from that music video a tribute to Singapore's late founding father, Lee Kuan Yew, titled You First Believed. It features clips from Mr. Lee's career, interspersed between segments where Dominic croons whilst walking down Bo Key, overhead shots of Singapore's downtown skyline, and even a handful of local youths offering up words of appreciation and gratitude. Generally speaking, the whole video seemed to me more like a social studies project rather than your typical music video. It was innocent and heartfelt and authentic, but in light of what's to come, perhaps just a little bit too naive. And then we, in 2013, we, we released it. Lee Kuan Yew saw it, you know. First, I sent it to Lee Senong on his Facebook. Then he replied me, he was like, oh, great song. I'll, I'll let my father hear it. No, I think he said Papa, I'll let Papa hear it. And I was like, oh, this is so endearing. So then it went viral. It went viral because, you know, he heard it and stuff like that. And then when he passed on, it went viral again. But then this time around, when he passed on, right, and then I had to sing it um, in the church, everybody just knew me as the Lee Kuan Yew boy. I know it's not my... I have nothing to boast about, you know. I, I did a song for him. I have nothing to boast about. I still don't think I have anything to boast about because I don't think that it was a great song. But people thought it was. So I wouldn't say it got into my head or so because I, I really had no sense of why I wrote the song, you know. And then like they were saying things about my character, about how I'm great. And in my head, it's no, 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 no. I'm not good at all. I'm a terrible being. And so I think this constant um fight to to feel like oh my gosh, all these people got it wrong. I'm actually not that great at all. The song's not good at all. You guys got it wrong. And so after a while, I I, I went into an ins- insane mode where I'm just like, the church loved me too much. They, they shouldn't love me. You know, I don't deserve any of this love. Yeah, then my mom would tell me, uh, my friend tell me uh, that you, uh, that I, why your friend tell you? Like, So after a while, it's, I just got into a state of panic. Like, I felt like I, 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 I fooled the world, you know? I fooled the world into thinking that I'm great, but I suck. I'm really bad. Yeah, and I'm uh, in character. I'm bad. If they only knew who I, who I really was, they would hate me. And I just grew into this um state of just extreme paranoia that like um I because I also used to sing quite regularly in church, right? I would tell my whoever I'll be like, hey, I don't think I can do the, the song anymore. Uh, I don't contribute to anybody's am- admiration of me, you know, because it's not a I I don't feel honest. And it's so fun. I never did anything that is criminally wrong. Like, I didn't do anything wrong at all. But, like, this pressure, immense pressure just put, like, was on me. And so that was the beginning of, like, 
the downfall where the months after that I just felt like a, a fraud lah. yeah If a song was great, I would openly bask in the glory of it. Yeah, so then now, like the song wasn't that great. Like even my music director was like, mm, the song is okay, no, very Singapore. So I'm just like, oh, the song is horrible. So, and then they will find out that I'm terrible in school because I'm, I was terrible. I, f- yeah, I flunked in school, no, and I was also a leader in church and I flunked in school, I flunked in this. So it was just a compilation of, my life is a mess, don't say anything about me, just let it go. Yeah, you know, but they never let it go. They wanted to talk and talk and I was put up for seven more items in that year. And I'm just, oh, I can't take it. Eh? I don't want to sing anymore. But yeah. Yeah, and then multiple articles written about the video. Yeah, Falcon Post, like, <laughs> I'm nobody. Don't talk about me. Yeah. Alright, so the viral video went out, you grew increasingly paranoid, and then you went through like a stretch, like a very, very difficult stretch, right? Mm. Yeah, please describe that period. Um, so the subsequent years, it was more about the, the fact that, oh, one day people is going to realise that actually I'm no big deal, you know? So I think it, it led me into a space of, the place where I don't even dare to try things anymore. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to try to be successful and I also don't want to try to do music because, uh, to be honest, like every Asian family would agree where if their child would want to pursue music, they would be very apprehensive. So same with my parents. They were also very like, why don't you try finance? I feel POA, you know? And so the next few years was just that, where I would try something and I would punt to a fate, you know? I was just like, oh, I don't want to do it, you know? Like... I'll, I'll write something and then I'll, I'll make the demo and I'll be like, nah, it's not good enough. Don't put it out. And then it just stays in my bedroom. I think my parents saw the ending. I think the, the way of encouragement is to provide me more options. But then I can't, I really can't do anything. I low-key think I'm dyslexic. I low-key think also that I'm a bit slow somewhere because I had a lot of trouble. Yeah, growing up, I, I thought to myself, why didn't I just tell my parents that I don't understand simple concepts? Yeah, then I also talked to my, then my parents like, maybe you were too scared. Then I was like, yeah, I don't know why, you know. So the next few years was was about that. It was about the fear of, oh, one day Yang Buqing or the Jiaren, you know, like, oh, I can't buy them a house. I can't buy myself a house. I'll be leaving my parents forever. You know, this kind of fears. And then, yeah, I just was immobilized. Yeah, I didn't believe myself anymore at all. Yeah, so it's, it's just, just downhill from there. This was the part of the interview that just floored me. For someone who once harbored dreams of making it as a musician, it was difficult to imagine that once you have found that success, life would be anything other than this completely fantastical joyride. But from Dominic's story, it's clear that things can often be far more complicated than it appears. To him, it was never just about producing that hit song or going viral, but also about fighting a social stigma, overcoming past failures, and proving his worth to his friends, family, and ultimately himself. All these things would wage an internal war of paranoia and anxiety within Dominic, and eventually, things would start to rise to the surface. 
think it's partly insomnia. Like there were nights where I just couldn't sleep, right? So that's insomnia. But then there were also nights where like it's because I'm thinking of so much, so many things that I can't sleep. So I tried the leave your phone outside, um, don't turn on a computer when you go home, uh, do a face mask and sleep, you know. But then no, like it just became a... So I would be on Telegram texting my friends. And so I'll tell them what I was thinking. Like I remember saying, I can, can I meet you at a secret location? Then like, I will not tell you like what I'm going to talk about until then. Do not ask me what I'm going to talk to you about. A panic attack, um, there are some where I know the triggers, right? I know the exact trigger. Like, for example, if I were to open Instagram, right, and I see my other friends being very successful, I, of course, I don't blame them at all. But if I were to see their Instagram and see how they're do so well they're doing, and then that's a trigger to, like, 2013, I had my chance, I fell into depression and paranoia, I ruined my chances, I left my community in, in music, um, I went into this state of not doing things and not wanting to put out things and not wanting to talk to people. Many times, suicide is on the table no? and it's for the dumbest reasons. Yeah, It's like, you know, if I were to just die suddenly, right, then my parents would just get over the funeral real quick and then my sister can be happy and, and, and do her them proud, you know. And then I'll go to planning on how I'll do so, like, oh my, I know where's my window or how will I fall, you know, that I would forget. Maybe I take a lot of sleeping pills, I sleep at the edge of the ceiling and then when I fall asleep, I just die. But then there are nights where I will just lie in my bed and then suddenly, I felt as though I had too much coffee, that feeling, where my heart started to pump right, and tremor. And then I can notice the slightest things, like in this room, I'll probably notice the sound of nothing. And then I'll notice the texture of this um, sofa, and then I'll notice the blood flowing in my veins. And then I go into this state of, I'm stuck in this room, where there is no doors. And then like that's what happened in my room. Lah. Yeah, so this is what happens in panic attack. And so, the one that I have triggers, then that one, I will just constantly think about all the what-ifs, you know. But the one with no triggers, that was that was a struggle because I don't know how to calm myself down. I don't know what's wrong. And then the the, the sad thing is, I'll tell my friends and they'll be like, why? Why? What caused you to be upset? Nah, I don't know, you know. So they just try to calm down. There in my head, I could if I would, you know. So yeah, that was that happened very frequently back then. When I did speak to a professional, then they referred me to a psychiatrist, which I went. And then I, I got something, I forgot the name, but it's equivalent to Xanax. But I didn't eat it because I just felt that if I were to start, I cannot stop. Like, it threw away all my sleeping pills, so it's just stupid. Yeah, back then. Uh, so, but then it's through the counsellor that, that it helped me realise that, that I'm having a, the paranoia bit is imposter syndrome. Anybody could have gotten that. You don't have to have depression or anxiety to have that. Then he, he suspected that I might have an anxiety disorder back then, yeah, because of the consistency of how panicky I'm getting. And it's not just the triggered anxiety attacks, but it's the non-triggered ones. Like, the, for no reason, I can have it now. Like, I can have it in the middle of a gig. Yeah, and my hands will be entirely numb, no? And I'll be sitting there and, like, I can't even... Because my muscles are all contract and then my songs, is just like, I want to stop singing. So I have to like, I have to sing about Valerie. I have to sing about like Sunday morning. And um, and I'll just be like, Sunday morning, rain is falling. Still some covers, shed some skin. And I'm like, a clouds are strolling unseen. I try to make it stylistic, you know, just hoping that it will pass. And it eventually does, because my set is 45 minutes, right? So midway through, I'm just like, oh. 
this next song is called You Raise Me Up, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, it's gone, you know? But yeah, so that that was the part, yeah. That was the time. So you mentioned that um, you you visited the, the I think the doctor, the psychiatrist. Yeah. And then they gave you this, uh, they, they told you that you might have imposter syndrome and... And uh, and anxiety disorder, right? Yeah, yeah. So for for those in the audience who are not familiar with the term, could you just briefly describe what uh, imposter syndrome is? It's when it's when you think you have fooled everybody around you. So basically, it's not delusional. It's not like oh, yeah, I'm so great. Everybody think I'm great. Ha <laughs> ha. No, it's a it's when you achieved something, right? Let's say you. Uh, won a medal, right? And everybody's like, you are the greatest runner in Republic Poly, you know? And like, let's say you did break the record, right? But then you're just like, oh no, I fooled everybody. My leg was passing and that's why I ran faster. It's just a very severe manifestation of the example I just gave you. But that is imposter syndrome, yeah. And that, that of course contributed to the anxiety yes, disorder. Yes, it did. For many years, it did. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, and so um, I'm just wondering... When 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 the psychiatrist told you this, how did you feel about it? Do you feel like you know you you better understand it now? Or yeah, oh, it was uh, the counselor who told me this. The uh, psychiatrist just like asked me a bunch of questions. Yeah, when I learned about it, I felt very very relieved. But I also felt like is this just a psychiatric like? There's a lot of names for everything. Like there is a name for a fear of tiny holes. There is a fear of big words. You know. So I just thought it's just is this just another made up thing just to make me feel better. You know. So when he first told me that, I felt that it was that. Yeah, and I literally drowned the whole conversation. And then I went home. One time I posted about it on my Instagram. Like, I feel this. No, do any of you feel this? And then a lot of people say, yeah, it's very common. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's called imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh my gosh. So what she said was right. <laughs> then what did she say? I forgot. I wasn't there. <laughs> the concept of imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon was first coined in the 1970s by psychologists Suzanne Imes and Pauline Rose Clance. It describes the condition whereby high achievers are unable to internalize and accept their success and who often attribute their accomplishments to luck rather than ability. Ultimately, this is accompanied by a fear that others will unmask them as a fraud, which then leads to anxiety and depression. According to Imes, individuals who experience this condition tend to come from families and societies that place a big emphasis on achievement. But perhaps what's more noteworthy is the following two related observations. Number one, Deferring in any way from your peers can fuel this sense of being a fraud. And number two, imposter syndrome and perfectionism often go hand in hand. On hindsight, once you learn about imposter syndrome, it becomes easier to empathize and understand Dominic's story. He lives in Singapore where there is an insane amount of pressure to achieve and succeed. He chose a career that is different from the average Singaporean, and it is clear from his past experiences that he is somewhat of a perfectionist. Moreover, after further reflection, I am starting to think that I was wrong during the introduction. Imposter syndrome isn't necessarily unique to Dominic, and it's easy to imagine many in Singapore today who probably have experienced this to some degree, where the high expectations placed upon us by society and our parents give rise to feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt. 
This is why Dominic didn't feel like he deserved the success from his song. He just didn't see how someone like him, who had struggled to achieve for most of his life, and who had never met society's or even his parents' expectations, could suddenly be vaulted into the limelight and put up on a pedestal. To put it in a different way, this is like taking perfectionism to its worst extreme. You become so obsessed with proving your self-worth that the thought of receiving praise and admiration for something less than perfect almost paralyzes you. The root of the problem therefore lies at the starting point of insecurity and self-doubt, and as such, it is where any hope of a solution must come from. I think being in the music drama company as an NSF really helped me because the people that we were working with were of very, very high skill. And like we have a lot of successful people who came out of MDC. So the people that were in there helped me understand and realize that like me being there is a good thing. And what can I contribute now? You know, how can I continue to to contribute to to music and not just and not just in MDC and not just in Singapore but how can I play a part in promoting music and 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 the only way I can do my part in promoting my music is just to be me because there's not going to be another Dominic and they helped me realise about how whatever part I play if it's just a harmony to one united people or if it's just a soft little ad-lib to home I can be proud of it because I contributed. So I feel that that little lesson has taught me to, it's not about how well I do, but it's about how excellent I do it in terms of with my heart and with all that I can, I do it. So like even now, there's so many fantastic singers at MDC and I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people have this crazy idea where if a new singer comes in, right, oh, there's going to be tension, you know. But to me, it's like, there is no tension, you know. I'm so sure of what I can do with my own voice. And I'm, you know, if you can do something better than me, oh my gosh, do it. And so a lot of my role now is, is supporting whoever is doing lead. But it's about realising that we all have a part to play. Ayo, I sound very mean definitely. But we all have a part to play. And it's not so much about who I am and whatever, but it's about what I can bring to the table. Yeah, and that really, the whole two years in my NS life helped me understand that it's not really so much about how great I can be, but how great of a help I can be to, to promote and elevate music in music's name, you know? Yeah. I feel that the more, the, the older I grow, the more aware I am of how bad I am you know, and how more I can improve. I feel if only if I had that mindset in 2013, you know, and I understood that, look, it's because I am so jialatna and I still get the platforms that I get, right? I need to be grateful. And I could learn from people who can do better than me. I feel that everybody needs to come to that realisation, especially artists, like musicians, because if not, it's a lonely place to be in if you just think you're the best. It's a very lonely place. You don't get to learn, you don't get to... Uh, yeah. 
that being said, like I don't blame even people who have said uh, nasty remarks to me, or or teachers who have put me down, or people who told me that they they don't think I will succeed. You know, relatives, family, friends. I don't resent anybody. I truly do not resent anybody. And whoever's listening, I hope you don't too as well. Our lives have too many things for us to pay attention to, to store any space for hate. I think time to time I'll have my moments of paranoia, but I think it's very important that I've had the journey that I've had, and so I know it's okay to have my moments of insanity and my moments of depression and my moments of.、Uh, Just unsureness. What's not okay is that I stay silent. And so, with that, brings the end to today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and much thanks to Dominic Chin for sharing his truly incredible story. Although the work we put into each individual episode can at times feel tedious and tiresome, I have to admit that listening to stories such as this one, especially of all its ups and downs, makes it all worthwhile. There's elements of the perfectionist in Dominic that I really think resonates with a lot of people, and if you are indeed one of them, I hope that even just by listening to this episode, you can realize that you do not have to be alone in your suffering. And that it is possible not to feel so anxious and fearful all the time. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness can be a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions, with assistance from Clarissa Wemple and executive producers Simon Liao and Sherman Ho. Music used throughout the episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Low and Julian Law. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends, or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own screwed up moment story to share, you can drop us a message through the email sumsgpodcast@gmail.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail, and it is okay to try again.